Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dodges-Marmette. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello, and welcome to episode number 16 of the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Marnie Dachis marmette and I'm here with my co-host, Stephanie May Potter. And we are so incredibly excited about our guest today. It's Dr. Stephen Cabral. He's a board-certified doctor of naturopathy, and he's the founder of the Cabral Wellness Institute and stephencabral.com. At 17 years old, Stephen was diagnosed with a life-altering illness and given no hope for recovery. Every day, he suffered endlessly for many years. And it was only after Dr. Cabral traveled all over the world and discovered how to combine ancient Ayurvedic healing practices with the -the state-of-the-art naturopathic and functional medicine did he really start to understand how to rebalance the body and energize it with life? And today in his online in Boston practice, he's completed over 250,000 client appointments. He uses a functional medicine lab testing and personalized wellness plan approach to helping people rebalance their mind and their body and helping them recover from autoimmune thyroid, fatigue, hormone, weight gain, um, digestive, childhood, mood, skin, and dozens and dozens of other um, hard-to-treat health conditions. His mission is really to help people understand that there is always a reason why you haven't achieved your ideal wellness or weight loss goals and that you can get well again. And I found him... I actually found him through his podcast a few years ago. I started listening to his podcast and I was really impressed with um, the podcast and the things that he was teaching on the podcast. And I really believe what he teaches. After listening to the podcast for probably like six to eight months, he came out with a course called IHP Integrative Health Practitioner. And I Um, immediately signed up for it. I was so excited. I was in his first class of students and I completed the course. And I, Stephanie, who's my co-host, I told her about Dr. Cabral and his podcast and she started listening and loved it also. And she also signed up for IHP and is also an integrative health practitioner. And we both um, signed up for the level two, which is deals with labs and functional medicine lab testing and I have finished the level two course and she is on her way to finishing the course. So anyway, in a nutshell, we both really admire Dr. Cabral, love what he teaches, and we are so excited to have him on the show today. Today we have Dr. Cabral from Boston with us and we are so excited to have him on our podcast. Stephanie and I both have studied under him in his IHP Integrative Health Practitioner program. We both 
finished level one. Stephanie's working on her level two. I finished my level two, and um, we're just so happy to have Dr. Cabral with us today, and we're going to jump right into our conversation with him. So first of all, we would love to hear a little bit about your background and your health journey and how you came to be an integrative health practitioner and naturopathic doctor. Yeah, absolutely. And first, I just want to uh, thank the both of you for allowing me to speak with your community today. You're doing an amazing job, and I'm uh, super proud to be able to now see two IHPs with their own podcast and really uh, sharing the message that we all want for people, which is that uh, there truly is an answer to whatever you suffer from. I know that you don't, you know, people don't have the answer right now, uh, but many of us don't until we do, right? And then it becomes our answer. And then uh, the nice thing is that I got into this field because I had my own health-based issues and they weren't solved by conventional medicine. And it's never to say that conventional medicine is wrong or it doesn't hold answers. It's simply that it doesn't hold answers for chronic-based health issues. So if, you're, if you have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, if you have Hashimoto's, if you have any autoimmune condition, et cetera, um, it, there's no answer for you. And that's not to say there's no answer. There's no answer in conventional medicine. So when I got really sick and they ran my blood work and they said, sure, the white blood cells are off. There's a couple things off, but you know, we don't know why uh, you're so sick. And for me, it was uh, brain fog, swollen glands. My immune system was shutting down. Uh, you know, it was debilitating. And for a lot of people, they're told that it's all in their head or they simply have to be medicated for the rest of their life. Well, the truth is that there's underlying root cause imbalances that affect every single one of us. And they start to accumulate through life or through one major stressful based event. I call it the three triggers, right? There's genetics. It matters, right? It's what you're predisposed to. Then it's what's going on in your life over a period of years. And then it's typically one trigger event, a toxin exposure, a breakup in a relationship, a, a sick parent or child, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's that one event that just finally uh, overflows that rain barrel. And so what I want to say is that uh, I spent years, over two years, going from medical doctor to medical doctor, specialist to specialist, best people in the world around Boston. And it wasn't until I met an integrative doctor who did acupuncture. Uh, he was an MD. He also knew about functional medicine testing. This is over 20 years ago, which was much more rare, that he began to see that I had issues with my adrenal output, namely cortisol. And eventually I was diagnosed then with Addison's disease, type 2 diabetes, uh, myalgic encephalomyelitis or encephalitis, uh, POTS, which is basically getting lightheaded, heart rate speeding up, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, and rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, a host of issues, right? And those were the ones you could diagnose. The other ones, which is like flu-like symptoms every day of my life, brain fog every day of my life. I mean, we come up with new disease names every day, but the truth is that uh, they didn't hold answers for me then until I started to move into functional medicine and natural health. And that's how I realized there was something else out there. And uh, I wanted to study that. I wanted to learn how to get well for myself. And then I made a promise to myself, if I ever learned to heal, I would one day share it with the world. Which is so inspiring and amazing, actually, that you were able to do all of that at such a young age. And I love, I mean, Marty and I have heard this story that you've shared several times, but I love hearing it again. Um, not because you went through those things, but because all that you've accomplished with yourself and healing so many other people because of what you went through when you were younger. You know, so something I just want to add to that is that, you know, for me, it didn't happen overnight. You know, I wasn't an overnight mm -hmm. success story. Um, and so I just want people to know like, oh, okay, I ran these labs, realized what was wrong with me. 
and I was better in a week or two. Uh, you know, I was very, very sick. And there's a lot of very sick people out there. Mine happened at 17. Uh, and I didn't find that doctor until I was 19. Uh, and some people happens at, you know, 47. So it all depends on the person. Um, and it, it depends on your practitioner who can give you a, a true well-rounded protocol. It took me a while to find that practitioner. And eventually I did heal. So, you know, I was an overnight success story uh, in about five years after finding out <laughs> about functional medicine. And, right. uh, you know, now, now we preach an IHP. Uh, most people should be well on their way to healing within 12 weeks, uh, three to six months maximum. So it doesn't mean that there's not some things to tweak after that, but, you know, your life's changed within that period of time. And so, you know, for everyone out there, just don't, don't want the silver bullet. Uh, want to figure out what was the root cause and then go about your healing journey. And, and for me, I had to heal not just physically, I had to heal mentally as well. I had a lot of um, mm -hmm. stress, perfectionism, OCD, anxiety, insomnia-based issues that I had to work on mentally before I could fix my physical body. Yeah, maybe we should touch a little bit on that because I think we are so focused on the physical, but you talk about stress and the mental aspect of healing. Could you maybe extrapolate or explain a little bit more about what you found that's helpful in your healing journey? Yes. And so one of the things that we teach in the Integrative Health Practitioner Institute is we, we teach that there's this thing called the de-stress protocol, diet and exercise. And we look at um, stress reduction. We look at toxin removal, rest, emotional balance, supplement protocols, and success mindset. Well, two to really three of those are, are psychological, right? So there's stress mm -hmm. reduction, then there's emotional balance, and then there's success mindset. Meaning like, if you don't actually believe that you can heal, it's going to be difficult to heal because your brain actually puts you then into more of the sympathetic nervous system or the deeper uh, polyvagal response, uh, which is a deeper parasympathetic freeze. So there's fight and flight, but then there's also freeze, which is the total shutdown. It's like isolation, deep depression, all of those things. So um, really what we're trying to do is let people know there's not one best way. Even if you're in therapy, if you're doing cognitive behavioral therapy, hypnotherapy, psychoanalysis, uh, uh, you still want to be working on your body because there can be a true candida overgrowth, SIBO, all of those things affect your mood. There can be low B vitamins that affects your mood. So, you know, we really want to work on the mind and body with people. And for me, it was um, how I grew up. I was a product of family. I was a product of my environment. And you are. When you're a child, you're not your own autonomous being. You model those around you. And I was modeling stress. And mm -hmm. so then I realized this is not serving me. I need to go about changing this. And that's what I did. I went about changing that. And again, uh, maybe an overnight success story with that about uh, a decade later. But I, I practiced <laughs> every day. You know, like I practice it every day and you get little by little, a little bit better, a little bit better. You become more self-aware. And then all of a sudden you feel like, oh, why am I having those thoughts? You still have the thoughts, but now you're more self-aware and they don't control you. You control your thoughts. Right. Which is awesome advice and so important. So I know that some of our listeners um, may be a little bit confused about like, what is the difference between integrative health, naturopathic medicine, Western medicine, Eastern medicine, Ayurveda, functional medicine? Can you kind of explain that to us? Absolutely. And so we use uh, a multitude of disciplines in IHP. And really what IHP is supposed to be is simply saying this, that there's no one best form of medicine. 
And you know, you should have a medical doctor. You should still have your PCP and you run annual blood work with them. But that is to diagnose disease. And that, that's really the extent of it. They are trained and they're the best in the world at disease uh, and acute-based health instances. So for example, you wouldn't want to go to me or the both of you for cardiac arrest or you know, bilateral pneumonia in someone that's 85 years old or uh, any like staph infection, right? So, cause yeah, we could probably help with those things, but this is a life and death based situation. Let's use the highest probability of getting us out of that, which is the, the technology and all of the things that we have with conventional medicine. However, if you're suffering from something that is not going to, you know, not be crude, but, but cause mortality within the next day or 24 hours or even a month, we need to look at all of the reasons for underlying root cause of disease. So what we look at is uh, traditional Chinese medicine and all the herbs and herbalism that's been used for 3,000 years in that. We can recommend out an acupuncturist unless an IHP is an acupuncturist himself. I studied acupuncture in China. Um, I studied it in Sri Lanka, but I don't practice acupuncture. I have a knowledge base of it, but I'm not an expert in it, but I know when to use it. So I say, okay, mm -hmm. this person has neurological issues. They have sleep-based issues. They have pain-based issues. Maybe as an adjunct to what we're doing, they could add acupuncture as well with a good practitioner. And then we use Ayurveda. We look at specific body types. We begin to assess seasonal-based ways of living and eating. Uh, and we look at also the mental, emotional attitudes that come along with that. Ayurveda is literally over 5,000 years old. It's the science of life. It is the foundation for all forms of medicine. Uh, we look at Eastern-based philosophy, which makes up a lot of our mindset and the ebb and flow of life and how there's always great times and there, there's always some more negative times in life. And what do we do in between those? And what do we do while we're in those? And then we look at um, traditional naturopathy, which is the way of right living. And that's really important because right living means that people say, oh, well, everything has to be exactly unique for me. Well, not really, because there's right living, meaning like, you're not meant to go to bed at one in the morning. I don't care what study you cite or who you are. Because if I put you back in the wild where humans originally were before electricity and before shelter, and even with shelter, you didn't have blackout blinds, you woke up with the sun and you went to bed when it was dark. You I also, tell my husband that all the time. I yeah. use your example. <laughs> well, you also don't have night vision. So what would you be doing at night besides potentially being prey for some larger predator? So you would, uh, you would find shelter. And then when they're sleeping at night, because carnivores are nocturnal, they typically, not all, but they hunt at night and they have night vision. Uh, not all, I'm not saying that, but that's a big part of it. So we look at right living, right? There's the circadian rhythm. Wake up with the sun or a little while after, go to bed a couple hours after the sun sets. Yes, that can actually change with seasons, but it's pretty much around 10 o'clock in the morning till, oh, sorry, 10 at night to about six in the morning, a little before, and then you can sleep in a little bit depending on the season, like winter. So then we know, I'll just kind of skip ahead and combine some, but really looking at functional medicine and naturopathic medicine, those are the same now. So functional medicine is the use of lab tests to look at underlying root cause imbalances that are not tested on typical blood work. So we're looking at deeper levels of hormones. We're looking at mineral imbalances, vitamin imbalances, things that your PCP is not going to look at. But it is those underlying root cause imbalances that lead to the high cholesterol, high blood pressure, 
type two diabetes, et cetera. So yes, I don't, I mean, I believe in the disease that we give a name to, but I don't actually believe it's anything more than a collection of symptoms caused by underlying root cause imbalances, all of which can be reversed by not treating the disease, but by working on the underlying root cause imbalances that caused the disease in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what do you see most often in your practice, you know, related to like the root cause and, you know, specifically thinking about our audience too? If you had to choose just two, if I could only choose two, that would work in the majority of cases, which is more than 51%, right? But I would actually say for two thirds, it is stress and digestion. So yes. that is what we go for right away. So we have something called the starter kit that the both of you use with level two that looks at digestive function and that looks at minerals and vitamins and, and that. I mean, the big five is always the best. I'm not going to say that, but not everyone can afford the big five. And they're not covered by health insurance because, again, they don't diagnose disease and health insurance only is a disease-based uh, system. So uh, stress and digestion. And what happens is, Antibiotic use, alcohol, birth control, Advil, chlorinated water, et cetera, et cetera, all weaken the gut wall. And they also allow for a uh, imbalance with gut bacteria. So over time, there's an overgrowth of gut bacteria and there's an overgrowth of, overgrowth of yeast or fungal-based markers. Now, you couple that with increased intestinal permeability, which means more of the food you eat and more of the bacteria in the gut actually seep into the bloodstream, well, that aggravates the immune system. If the immune system gets elevated, you have inflammation. Well, inflammation is implicated in over 90% of all disease, and I would probably say 100% because I'm, I can't think of one that it's not implicated in. So when we look at that, we say, okay, so, but stress can cause gut issues. So we're now finding a day of high stress weakens gut permeability. So that's, that's pretty tough to look at because yeah. we know people are chronically stressed. Getting the kids ready is stressful in the morning. Getting the bed is stressful at night. Getting ready for work, sitting in traffic is stressful. Giving a presentation for people can often be stressful. Making financial uh, means work is stressful. Like, so now it goes back to, okay, all of these things are stressors in pretty much everyone's life. Now it's our job to reframe stress, to look at it as, this is part of being a human being. So what do we do about how we look at these things? And can we focus more on gratitude and perspective? Things could be mm -hmm. worse rather than the, the current situation that we're in right now that could be worse. And there's so much good in our life right now. Absolutely. So, and as you talk about, you know, like gut health and the stress and everything, that kind of makes me think about the rain barrel. And you talk about how when you're rain barrel gets too, flow, too full and is overflowing, that's when, you know, you're, you start to kind of wreak havoc in your body. Can you explain that a little more and talk about kind of how you came up with that? And um, I know you wrote a book, The Rain Barrel Effect, which I love and I love to give to other people. Um, so why is it important to empty your rain barrel? So if we look at it, we have a lifetime of accumulation. And that's because if we live in a Western-based society, and again, it's not just the United States, it's, it's Canada, it's most of, at least not all of Europe, it's at least all of Western Europe, it's Australia, it's New Zealand, it's, it's all of the countries where you have access to food whenever you want it, right? I mean, that's, that's a thing. And we also have, unfortunately, what comes along with that, all of the plastics and PCBs and phthalates and triclosan and all the different toxins in our environment that are, by the way, invisible. 
you would never purposely eat a toxin except for the fact that they're microscopic or invisible. There is a gas, a vapor. Most people just think of the, the easy ones like pesticides on foods. Well, yeah, that's just a couple. That's the fungicides, herbicides, um, pesticides. Uh, but what about the bug spray you spray on your child? And what about the sunscreen you put on your body? What about the toothpaste that you use that contains fluoride and triclosan? Two known poisons, uh, triclosan known to potentially cause cancer, fluoride as a neurological agent that also lowers thyroid and destroys good gut bacteria. So make your argument if you want that you want to keep it in your mouth. Uh, but if you are drinking tap water and you're brushing your teeth with fluoride, you're getting some of that absorbed through the capillaries in your mouth. And most likely you're swallowing the tap water that you're drinking or at least the ice cubes. So these are things that we're exposed to every day. Uh, what about the silver fillings in your mouth? Well, they're not silver. They're, they're actually mercury, they're aluminum, and they contain other metals. Well, not right away, but over time as you chew, microparticles of that begins to go into your bloodstream. That accumulates over time. What does it do? Well, it can cause neurological issues, it could cause autoimmune issues, could cause Alzheimer's. We're just beginning to make the connections now. So our rain barrel fills up over time. Toxins in the environment, but also stress, also antibiotic use, also alcohol, also, I mean, you name it, right? It's like one night of missleep, no big deal. What happens if it's been happening now for a decade or two decades? That's a big deal. It mm -hmm. begins to lower hormones, it begins to lower cortisol levels after time, thyroid after time, testosterone over time, DHEA over time. What does that manifest as? Well, you don't see it because you don't run those labs. You see it as low libido, low mood, low endurance, low ambition. You're low on life, right? You want to be high on life. So how do you do that? Well, you boost your hormones naturally. You don't take bioidentical hormones. Again, there's a time and place for everything. So I'm not saying that. It's just not your first go-to. You don't just go for bioidentical hormones at 50 years old. Like there's so much more that you could do. Right. Maybe at 70, but not at 50. There's so much more you could do naturally. So all of that to say that over time, we begin to fill up our proverbial rain barrel. And it's never a big deal until it's a big deal, which, which is when it overflows. But it overflows just with one little extra thing. And then all of a sudden, we're like, how did the rheumatoid arthritis or Hashimoto's or MS or lupus happen? Well, it didn't happen overnight. It happened over the last 10 years, 20 years. And I think that's, that's a concept that's sometimes hard for people to understand too. And people that are even well now and maybe don't have major symptoms, so maybe their rain barrel hasn't completely overflown yet, but they're not thinking ahead to just being healthy and starting to empty that rain barrel now so that they don't have those chronic disease, hopefully, in the future. And so what are some things that people can do to help empty their rain barrel? So, and I would say for all those people, you, it's true that you're not diagnosed with a disease yet. And it's always a yet. Now, I was a stressed kid growing up. I had allergies growing up. I probably had digestive issues. Who really knows? I had my adenoids taken out. I had my tonsils taken out. I had tubes in my ears. Those are pretty dead giveaways that there's stuff going on yeah. in my body that isn't right. Maybe I should have eliminated cow's milk dairy. Maybe I should not have eaten, you know, or drank a glass of milk with uh, pasta and meatballs every night. Like maybe, right there with you. <laughs> um, you know, but again, my parents didn't know. So in hindsight, sure, it's easy, but not at the time. And it's never easy. Cause then like, well, what do you do? You have to cook a more developed meal that costs maybe a little bit more for your family. It's always worth it, but it takes a little bit more effort and we're tired at the end of the day. And we just want to give our kids what they'll eat and all those things. So I get mm -hmm. it. I'm a parent as well. Um, you know, the thing is this, you will feel symptoms before the disease. You'll start to wake up not feeling as rested. You will start to, your skin will start to look a little thinner, a little bit more dry. Your hair will be a little bit thinner. 
you'll have less energy, less endurance, less stamina, less libido. You, will want, you won't want to take on uh, as much in life. Those are all signs right away that the body is becoming overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, anxiety, irritability is a first sign that something's off with the body. So we need to look at that. And then run your labs now. Run the functional medicine labs now. The blood work's important every year with your doctor, but it won't show anything off most likely, okay? Because your body's great at compensating at a blood-based level, but it will show it at a tissue level where things actually happen in the cells. So how we begin to empty the rain barrel is we look at the de-stress protocol, right? It's not, uh, I believe me, nobody's a bigger advocate than nutritional supplements than me. Like, I mean, they changed my life. They got me well. When your digestion is faulty because you're stressed or you have intestinal permeability, you can't eat enough good food and be able to absorb it. I got bloated with all the good foods that I was supposed to eat. I wasn't absorbing them. They were only causing more skin reactions. So I use nutritional supplements for a period of time, right? So, and then I, and then I maintain with them, but I didn't need to do as much. However, the de-stress protocol is diet. It's exercise, the right amount for you, not overdoing it. Most people, if they're exercising, a lot of people are overdoing it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's stress reduction. There's toxin removal, which is a specific one that we can talk about. And then there's a rest. How do we get more sleep? How do we get deeper sleep? How do we get better sleep? And then there's emotional balance. There is supplement protocols, depending on what you have and depending on what your labs say. And then there's also the success mindset, which is just daily motivation and believing that you can achieve, even if you don't see how you'll get there. There are a lot of goals I have in life that I'm like, I have no idea how I would ever, ever achieve that. But based on what I've done before, I think I can achieve this too. Cause I didn't know how to do those as well. And I'm not talking about big things. I'm saying like the biggest thing I ever did was change my health. If I can do that, I mean, there has to be a blueprint for everything else as well. And, and just to point out, if you can't afford to do labs right now or supplements, you can still start to empty your rain barrel by working on some of those other things you mentioned, right? Like sleep and de-stress, de-stressing your body and your mind and working on your positive mental state, all of those things. Yeah. And even if you could just pick one to start now, your body works in synergies. So just getting more sleep is probably not gonna be the difference maker if you're not eating well and eating well without any sleep is not necessarily going to be the difference maker. So we really have to correct all of them, but that doesn't mean you have to start them all at once. You know, the best place to start is always nutrition and a whole food diet. You know, doing a smoothie for breakfast or at least something easy to digest, eating a normal plant-based lunch, eating a normal dinner three hours before bed to maybe even four if you have trouble sleeping. Like it's getting into a good rhythm. It always starts with food because you can't compensate with anything else. If you have a poor diet, exercise doesn't matter as much. You're only compounding inflammation on inflammation. The only way exercise really works is if you're eating well because the food is anti-inflammatory. And exercise is inflammatory. So we have to balance the two. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if, you're not ex if you're not sleeping, you shouldn't be exercising too much because how are you recovering? You're becoming more and more catabolic. You can get away with all this stuff when you're in your 20s. You can't when you move into your later 30s and definitely not in 40s, 50s, et cetera. You can't. Now, you can be super healthy. Uh, as I mean, I have clients, private wellness clients in my practice that are in their 80s and they are my role models for one day when I'm in my 80s because they're playing sports, they're golfing, they're playing tennis, they're moving their body, they're working out, they're still serving on the boards of companies. And I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do when I'm your age. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? 
And I'm like, oh, okay, you've been doing this, this, and this over the years. Sure, we need to tweak some things right now. But um, yeah, you've been doing pretty well. And so it's not a mystery, but you have to follow the de-stress protocol. You really do. Mm-hmm. So as we talk about that in the rain barrel, um, Stephanie and I are both running right now your seven-day community detox. We're both detoxing. We're on day four. And um, we have run into a lot of people that say, well, you, don't, you don't need to detox. Your, your body detoxes for you naturally. Um, or people will say, well, how is that any different than a juice cleanse or, you know, the Weight Watchers program. And can you talk about that for us? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, one thing too, is I would just love everyone to read the rain barrel effect. And, you know, I say that because it's going to solve a lot of these mysteries and all profits, hundred percent of all profits are donated to charity, charity every year. And then you can then take that first step and work with an IHP, like either one of you, you can begin a protocol, you can begin doing these things, but it's gonna to start to make sense, like you need a foundation. So the thing is this, is that we've known for a long, long time that toxins exist in the environment. People don't believe that, but there's a reason why in the United States, the World Health Organization has recognized there's over 77,000 man-made chemicals. That means our body was never meant to process them, namely our liver. So they've started to ban some, like DDT back in the 70s, but here's the thing about DDT. It never evaporates. It doesn't go away. It's always going to be with us, which is really scary. And in Europe, they only have 8,000 toxins. Why? They are a whole lot safer than we are. They are not, I mean, they're run, but they're not completely run by big corporations. So they try to, they don't want to put those things in their body. Like for example, in Belgium, they've banned 5G. I mean, that's for a country to do that. I mean, is, is remarkable. And I don't want to get too deep down the rabbit hole, but EMFs are another toxin mm -hmm. and they are invisible and you typically never feel them, but you do feel the effects of what brain fog and you know, all the things that we went through. So, you know, what I'd like to say is that there's no longer a need to guess. Uh, we have labs, environmental toxicity tests that can show you what your body's harboring. I'm sure that you guys can link that up on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if you want to do that, there's mold toxicity. And the other thing is too, like we run lab tests that show this. Some of the biggest skeptics in the world have run their labs. I talk about that, um, the journalist in, in, uh, from uh, National Geographic that did it. And we also know that from a nonprofit agency, they tested the fetal cord blood of 10 Americans, uh, infants before they were born. And they only tested them for 400 different toxins and they contain on average over 200. Imagine if they test them for 77,000. So you come into this world with toxins, unfortunately, and you accumulate every day. Now, we can combat that with a functional medicine detox, which works specifically on your liver. Now, how does it work? Well, it works. So every day of the week, every, every minute of the day, every second of the day, your liver is detoxing your body. There's no doubt about that. But is it able to keep up? And the answer is no. And again, the reason is that we can lab test anyone in the world and we'll see some level of toxicity. Even with, if it's within a safe range, we still see toxins. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we simply provide people with the vitamins, minerals, and amino acids that we know the liver needs and uses to ramp up what's called phase one and phase two detox. So for example, your body needs vitamin C, vitamin E. It needs your B vitamins for phase one. Easier to get, right? But phase two, 
which is the most crucial because that's actually how you break it down to a water soluble toxin from a fat soluble. And it has to be water soluble to leave your body through the sweat, which we know it is excreted in the sweat because we test people's sweat after they do a sauna. And believe it or not, there's metals and there's mold in that sweat. So we know that it works. And then it comes out the urine and it comes out also in your stool. So we know these things work. We know your body's harboring them. We're just giving your body a better outlet and a faster way to do it by adding things such as glycine, taurine, glutamine, uh, glutathione, which allows the body to then turn into a harmless water-soluble vitamin, uh, water-soluble toxin, and remove it from the body. So our job as facilitators, we don't cure disease. We don't treat disease. We don't even diagnose disease. What we do is we work, we give the body support so it can keep up with these man-made toxins so that it can do its job. And although I have no problem with juicing, it doesn't ramp up phase one and phase two. And intestinal cleanses are great, but it has nothing to do with the liver. It has to do with removing stool from the bowels. So that's the differentiator. Nothing wrong with those other things, but they are not liver detoxifiers. That's very helpful for our listeners to hear. You know, kind of switching gears a little bit from, from toxins and the rain barrel effect, we often get questions from clients and friends about some kind of random topics, if you will, like acne and longevity. We've already talked a bit about stress and how that impacts our health, but you know, can you talk a little bit more about that specifically? I mean, adults, but also a lot of our listeners are also parents with kids. Or teenagers, teenagers. that have acne. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's a lot of people that are in maybe in their 30s and 40s really focused on longevity. Sure. So we look at acne as really two things, hormonal or we call it dirty blood. So let's go over the hormonal first. Uh, Imbalanced thyroid uh, is one possible reason why. Higher testosterone is one possible reason why. And a big reason for women and especially adults is estrogen dominance, which causes acne more around the chin and jawline and maybe on the back and chest. If we're looking, and especially if the acne comes on the last five to 10 days before uh, day one of menstruation. So again, you can run that on our stress, mood, and metabolism test. And and that's a great one for, I I mean, in my opinion, uh, every adult to run, you want to look at all of your hormones and your thyroid and then when it comes to uh, dirty blood, we're looking at the liver's inability to filter toxins as well, but we're really thinking about what's going on with gut permeability. Is there bacteria and protein and food-based particles moving into the bloodstream that are now simply being forced out through the skin because we can't mm-hmm. excrete them through the colon uh, uh, or just through your intestines? Uh, or the urine as well. And it's typically through the colon. I mean, that's, that's the place that we remove the majority of toxins because our liver basically mixes with bile and the bile is dumped into our intestines. And then that's filled with all toxins and we get the toxins out of our body. And the same goes with estrogen. So if you're constipated and you have estrogen dominance or you have acne and you have constipation, you have to get rid of the constipation. You have to have one to two normal bowel movements a day. If you don't, uh, you're going to be recycling and recirculating a lot of these things through your bloodstream, which you don't want to be doing. So uh, running that candida metabolic and vitamins test is great. Running the bacteria and parasite stool test is great to look if it's bacterial candida based or if it's uh, hormonal based. And you'll be able to figure out the answer with that uh, for sure. It's typically one of those two. Teenagers, I mean, it's a poor diet a lot of the time. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I, that's what I was going to ask you. In teens, isn't it mostly poor diet? Dairy, sugar, uh, yeah. processed fat, like fried fat. Yeah, I mean, that's... So you go there first, of course. I mean, I'm assuming a lot of people are kind of following a healthier plant-based diet, but your child, your teenager probably isn't. They're drinking soda or sugary beverages. I mean, talk about glycemic uh, or glucose being out of control and it messing with your hormones. Yeah, you have to, you have to work on food first. Like, let them have a once a week uh, blowout meal of whatever they want, but you really have to keep it clean for their own mental health. Uh, mm -hmm. in inflammation and their skin as well. And then also their own uh, maturation, like their body's ability to have a good functioning nervous system and DNA in the cells. Well, Marty and I both have teenagers. So we have this conversation and we even have some clients who want their kids, like teenagers, to do the detox and do a, mo a modified version of the detox for that reason, children, so. children are, are best served um, following the elimination diet necessarily without the adult detox because we also want to work on relationships with food and we want to make sure that kids don't have like a good and bad it's more like hey we make good healthy choices for our body it's not that we can't have our favorite foods every once in a while but we don't want to make the excuses of why we're having them listen i eat bread and pasta once a week for the most part i'm not kidding myself that i'm eating it because it has fiber in it you know I'm eating <laughs> it if i wanted fiber i'd eat more broccoli you know i mean like right. so you can still enjoy your favorite foods, but get yourself well first. Do a 21-day elimination with your kids, your teenagers. Get them feeling what real health feels like. Have them keep doing a smoothie in the morning or maybe some uh, oatmeal with some berries on top, things like that. Like, just get them eating healthier and then you know, walk them up that next ladder to whatever they should be doing. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, it is a, such a sensitive topic with teenagers, especially girls, and we don't want to get into the habit of creating an unhealthy relationship with food and really, like you said, eating whole nutrient-rich foods so that you feel good and your body starts to thrive and then enjoying those foods, uh, like you said, the bread and the pasta, right? Yeah, and a teenager like 16 to 18, they could probably do the detox uh, without the two fasting days. Right. I mean, anybody can exactly. ease into it yep. that way. So yep. shake with your AYU and FM detox caps plant-based lunch, shake in the afternoon, and dinner at night. Now, remember, the detox that we use with IHP, people have to understand, yes, it's nutritional supplements. Yes, it's helping with detox. But our real goal is to teach people how to get back onto a normal eating schedule, to mm -hmm. be able to do more water and hydration with the day. I mean, we sneak these things in and people don't even know it. You know, right. so we're getting the body healthy without them really knowing it. All they need to focus on is shake, meal, shake, meal. And like, you're just getting the rhythm like, oh, I could do this. Well, good. That's what we want you to do after this as well. We don't want you to stop. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's, it's great. <laughs> um, and what about longevity? Like, um, you know, what can people do to increase their longevity? Yeah, longevity is the easiest answer out of all of them, believe it or not. And it's because the, the formula goes like this, weight loss, wellness, anti-aging. If you need to lose any weight, more than 10 pounds or more, lose the weight first. Because as you lose the weight, all of your risk factors for the top four causes of mortality, which are cancer, well, let's go in order. So it's heart disease, cancer, uh, stroke or high blood pressure, and type 2 diabetes. So if we eliminate those, 
you're automatically like again there's accidents we can't control sometimes massive toxic exposure we never know listen there there are some genetic factors we just don't always know however you give your absolute best chance to soar right through your 70s and your 80s now how do you how do we live longer then well we make sure that we have the absence of disease so we lose weight first we work on wellness if there's any issues left autoimmune et cetera et cetera and now we're well, and we run our labs on a yearly basis that say, you're well. And that's how we live longer. Now, there are certain things you can certainly do, such as adding in sauna, adding in a once a week, 24 hour fast, adding in your quarterly uh, functional medicine detoxes, getting uh, one hour and 20 minutes to one hour and 40 minutes of deep sleep uh, per night. That's not including the seven to nine hours per night. So there's a lot of things to do for longevity. Um, but your body tells you, for the most part, are you going to live longer by the absence of disease? Mm -hmm. The imbalance, right? Achieving equilibrium, right? Achieving homeostatic, um, your body's ability to stay balanced. Yeah, absolutely. So Marty and I both love your podcast, and you can talk about that. There's, you know, Dr. Cabral has a podcast five days a week. I don't know who else. No, it's seven I'll, days a week, sorry, isn't seven it? Days seven days a week. Days a week. You're right, because the house calls. Every day. <laughs> Which I still am amazed that you do this. I think it's great. But one of our favorite is the Mindset and Motivational Monday podcast episodes. And there were actually a couple at the very end of the year in December that really resonated with me. And I thought it would be great for you to share some of your top tips to motivate people young in this new year. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to, I have my little spreadsheet right here. We, I'm currently on episode uh, 1440 as we're talking about this. And, and how I long just have you had a podcast for? Just... I started exact, almost exactly four years ago. Wow. wow. Yeah. That's impressive. And, um, and I just said, this is, this is, so I was working at that time in my uh, functional medicine clinic in, in Boston, integrative health uh, practice clinic. And we were seeing 20,000 people, uh, 20,000 appointments a year. And I said that, uh, although I love this work, I do not love the business of running a business that does 20,000 appointments a year. Um, I have two young girls. I have a lot going on. And I also said that even though I love what I'm doing right now, I also want to be able to travel and not have to know every single moment of my schedule. I'd love to be able to do this more virtually. But even more than that, I said, whether I ever do anything different or not, I'm happy. I'm good. Things are great. But I want to share what I'm teaching that I know works with more than just the uh, 2,000 people or whatever it was uh, per month. And so that's what I set out to do. And my goal was to reach 20,000 people. Instead of 20,000 people a year, my goal was to reach 20,000 people a day. And after about um, two years, two and a half years with a podcast, uh, we've now reached that goal. And so that was always a big thing for me. So thank you. And, and so, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's my favorite thing to do. I love to teach. Um, I always feel like whatever I'm doing, I'm simply teaching. And this gives me an outlet. As I'm doing this interview, I'm just simply trying to teach. And when we talk about the Motivation and Mindset Mondays, I didn't want it to be, I wanted it to be the de-stress protocol. Like, here's what you need to do. Like, and so that's why every Motivation and Mindset Monday is going to resonate with a different person. So mm -hmm. it's whatever you need. And so that's the thing is like, I saw a lot of practitioners, all of them very, very smart, 
but not all of them resonated with me. Not all of them could cue me in the way that I needed to be cued. And so uh, that is why I always, that's why I also love doing a daily podcast. One is I get to feel like I'm always energized with my mission. So part of it's for me, right? Like I wake up and I podcast and I can't tell you a day I've never felt well after doing a podcast. Like I've always felt great. I'm like, oh, I just did what I was supposed to do. Good. I'm happy. And um, so it gives me a boost in the mindset of motivation Mondays, same thing. I do it on a Monday to motivate myself, to give myself that extra boost. Listen, like whatever happened last week, whatever happened over the weekend, whatever might be, today's today. It's a new start to a day and I can begin to move forward. And at the end of the year, I always talk about, you're going to have big goals. Let's say that your goal right now is to um, take back your wellness and, and maybe become a health coach. Okay. So- is that going to happen in January? No, it's not going to happen. Is it going to happen in February? Probably not, but you're going to move in that direction. So you might not become certified until the end of 2020. Okay, great. But let's not look at that as a big goal. Let's chunk that down to 12 week periods of time because a year is too long a period of time to focus on, but you can focus on the next 90 days. What can you do in 90 days? Mm-hmm. And then break that down. What can you do in a month? Out of the, each of the, I mean, 90 days is three months. So what can you do for all of those months? And now what can you do on a weekly basis? And then what can you do on a daily basis? It seems overwhelming to read 12 books a year because most people read one or less a year. But it's not so difficult when you think about it as one book a month. And it's not so difficult when you think about it as 10 pages per day. And I love that you recommend yeah. that. Like that, I've been reading so many more books after hearing that ages ago. It's great to hear because 10 pages a day can also be broken down into three pages before the kids wake up, three pages at lunch, and three pages before bed, or 3.33. And so then you have what? You have 300 pages a month done. That's it. And, and you now read a book. Now, if you have a particular health-based issue or you want to become a health coach or whatever it is, if you just do that and you've read 12 books, you are essentially an expert in that particular category. Now, are you like the world's leading specialist. No, but you probably don't have to be. Like you don't have mm-hmm. to be. Now you know all the different angles of what's going on. And so, and even for me, I mean, I read more than one book a month, but one book is always about moving forward in life and self-improvement because that never ends. I have mm-hmm. ebbs and flows to my own life. If I have something going on with family or work or whatever it might be, then I need to stay motivated as well. I need to keep myself in the right frame of mind. Absolutely. So just totally off topic, but I'm just curious, what do you do for fun? I always tell people there's no fun. Um, <laughs> like outside of work. Actually, yeah. <laughs> he has a lot of fun doing the podcast. I know you have fun in your job and in your career, but outside, yeah. of, outside of that. So I'm very lucky because I love my work. And I love my family. And that's pretty much what I do all the time. So um, I used to get into work at 6.37 in the morning. Uh, a couple years after my girls were born, I, I wanted to be there when they woke up. And I wanted to make them a breakfast smoothie every morning and along with my wife. I mean, my wife um, holds our family together. She's the glue. Um, so I, I have to give her credit because I certainly um, do not enable our family to live the healthy lifestyle that they do. Uh, my wife is very much into natural health. She knows uh, so much and she corrects me some of the time. So I have to give her credit. Um, so one thing I will say though, is that I travel quite a bit. 
and I travel with my family quite a bit. And I take way more time off than people probably think. I can uh, do consultations and, and have them do more upfront. And then I um, can record podcasts ahead of time. I record podcasts on vacation. Listen, like I have work life integration. I don't have a separation at all. Mm -hmm. So every, every year for the month of March, we're gone. We leave Boston. It's cold. It's miserable. Nobody's happy. And so we go somewhere warm and my kids are young enough now. It won't always be able to do this, but they get two weeks vacation in March and we take the week before and the week after, and we just go somewhere warm. (laughs) And so that's a lot of family time. Um, I typically go more towards the West coast or we've gone to Hawaii. And so it's six hours difference, which means I work with my team. My team is virtual and, um, I do consultations still with my concierge practice once a week. And so what do I do while I'm doing consultations that one day a week? Or what does my family do? They go to the beach, they go to the pool, they're eating acai bowls. They're having fun. They don't miss me at all. So it's okay. (laughs) And at the same time, then I feel fulfilled. Like, listen, I'm still connected with the work that I love. And then um, certainly after lunchtime every day, that's all play with my family. So I concentrate more on quality time that I have with them rather than just being there as a face. So like when I get home at night and I'm home at night, six out of seven nights uh, for dinner that I've made a commitment to myself many years ago, I would always be there for dinner. And because it just growing up and those types of things, I realized that life is super short. Like, listen, mm-hmm. I, I know maybe it's because I was sick at a younger age, but I know that when my girls are, you have better recognition than me, but when my girls are 13, probably not going to hang around with me too much. Probably not want to get hang around with me. And so I say, listen, I've got like five more years with my oldest daughter. I can't get that back. I can always do more work in the future. I can always do more of whatever, but I can't do more with my kids at that age. So I'm very cognizant. But at the same time, when I'm out of work for too long, I'm not good for my family either because I miss my work. And then I feel like uh, almost like they're taken away from my work. So I have to find this balance. And so that's how I found it to work. Besides that, I, I exercise. Um, I've got a dog that I take for walks two, three times a day. I practice martial arts. So like I do other things as well, but for the most part, the phase, I always talk about this and I know that I'm talking a lot, but there are phases to people's life. And so I'm in a phase of my life that it has to be focused on family and kids first. So mm-hmm. I have to do that. Even if I want to work more and even if I want to work on a project later at night, kids are first, I'm just not going to be able to get it back. And so, but the phase will be over and it's kind of like unfortunate for me, but I, I, that's how I feel. But when they're 18, they're on their own. They really are. And so, okay, that's not that far from now. Like my youngest is five. It's 13 more years. Uh, but I really look at it as when they're 13 and they're in high school. Cause when I was in high school, I was playing sports. I was on autopilot. I was out all with my friends over the weekend. I just wasn't hanging out with my parents. So that's the phase that I'm in. And then after that, I can be in a different phase where I can work more. I can travel more with my wife. I can, we can do whatever we want. But anyway, that's how I look at it. And it has to be specific for the individual, but that's how I look at life. I think that's just great perspective for everyone. I love that you said that. So I guess as we wrap up the interview, we have one final question that we love to ask all of our guests. Um, And since wellness is really so personal and is unique to everyone, we would love to know what the art of living well means to you. Yeah, for me, that that is what uh, life is all about. You know, it's about uh, doing work you love, having a a family that you love, and we don't always get to choose our family, right? Like sometimes our parents, our siblings, or our closest friends, like um, that it's, it's not always bringing balance to our life. So what I try to do, though, is I always try to create balance in life. 
Now, remember, um, the way that we create balance in life is we actually have some things that are a little negative, right? We have things that to show us perspective and that when we're in the good times, we need to really enjoy those. So uh, the art of living well is really for me, it is creating balance and it's creating equilibrium and it is enjoying all of those good times. And it's also keeping things in perspective. Listen, if I have to work late one night, I'm also thankful that I have to work late one night. You know, I mean, it could be a whole lot worse. And at least my kids see that I'm in a job that I love. And then when I'm with my family and I'm taking time off, my whole team knows that I prioritize family. And so they get to see that too. And I say, listen, you need to be doing the same thing yourself. So for me, it's, uh, there is no one best way to live life, but you need to have your health. So when I'm not feeling my best, I'm focused on, in on health and it's really all that I'm doing. Oh, good. Health's back. Now we have everything else. So that's what it's all about for me. And, and it does differ for each individual, but simply um, living a life you love, like is what, is what you want to do. We don't get to do everything we want, but that's okay. Uh, but if you can begin to live a life that you love, then uh, that's, that's the reward right there. It doesn't matter if you live to 120 or, or 80. Um, if you love every day of your life or most days, it's fantastic. That's so true. Yeah, what a great, a great answer. And how can our listeners find you if they want to listen to your podcast or check out your website? My podcast is The Cabral Concept. Uh, you can find it at stephencabral.com forward slash podcast or your favorite uh, podcast player. My book is The Rain Barrel Effect. So those are basically two educational sources that people can start to uh, learn more about what integrative health, what I believe true integrative health is all about. And um, then, you know, from there, first, first always go with the education because then you have the foundation and then they can always uh, look to the both of you for labs, for protocols, for nutritional supplements, et cetera. So they, they, can, they can reach out to you for that. And, and we'll, we'll link everything up in the show notes as well. And that. you're also on Instagram, right? Yes, yeah, so actually, the only, I mean, I shouldn't say the only place. So on Instagram, uh, it's just my name, Stephen Cabral, and Stephen with a PH. And then uh, on Facebook, we have a, a Facebook group, which is cabralsupportgroup.com. So again, yeah, these are all kind of like almost basically free content sources. And um, it should, I mean, health uh, should be part of your daily input, right? So like, what are you focused on? Are you focused on uh, bettering your family? Uh, better in your health, uh, better in your overall, if you're trying to transform your body, your nutrition. So it's kind of like daily input reinforces what you're doing on, the, on a daily basis. And so, yeah, that's a, it's a great place to start. Thank you. That's so awesome. And we so appreciate you being on the show today. Stephanie and I are both hoping to meet you live in person in May, if all yeah. of that, if we hear when the date is and um, that we can both come. <laughs> yes, IHP Live will be happening in the United States. We're doing our Australia event, uh, which is now um, sold out in Australia in uh, March, which I'm very much looking forward to. That's part of my month away with my family. They're coming to Australia. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. That's so well, Marty and I wish we could come to yeah, Australia. Yeah, I wish I could go to Australia. <laughs> but we will be holding one in Boston uh, in 2020. We don't have the exact dates. Uh, we just realized, um, not to take this up, but yeah, it's graduation month, by the way, in Boston, mm. who knew? And there yeah. happens to be, um, like about a dozen different universities right. <laughs> <laughs> happen, but I'm sure the both of you can link up. What's this whole IHP thing that we keep talking about as well. Yes. Uh, but I wanted to thank the both of you for having me on and also, uh, doing this great work, sharing the message of how to heal the body and then begin to heal others as well. Once you've learned it, you can pay it forward. So thank you. Appreciate it. And, uh, keep up the great work. Thank you so much. Thank you. And have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. 
Marnie and I just created our private Facebook group and we're inviting each of you to head on over to Facebook and join this new community. We're so excited about it. We really created this group so we could connect with our listeners and form our tribe as we go, as we grow. And um, this group is really meant to be a safe space for our members. To connect and support one another. You may laugh, cry, and really provide opportunities for everyone to grow. That's one of the benefits of the community is to have the connections and the accountability. And you'll even have direct access for Q&A with both of us. Um, So we're just so excited about it. And we're really hoping that you'll join us on this adventure. So head on over to Facebook and search the Art of Living Well podcast private Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.